0: Hi everyone, this is Grayson Mask of the That Platinum Mask Podcast. I'm here with Jason Lay of Better Drinking Culture and of also the author of Drinkers Manifesto. Um, I you know I checked out your organization when I saw the Voyage Dallas article, and I actually oh, right um, yeah I read your book as well. Um, uh, really during I don't know if you knew too much about the uh, what Texas was going through with all these uh, rolling blackouts. Um, but during one of those, uh, yeah, I just saw, I remember I heard the book and kind of read, uh, right through it, but yeah, definitely. Thank you again, Jason, for coming on this podcast.
1: It's my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Definitely. So when I saw the organization with better drinking culture, um, really I just saw, um, I went through the blog and saw that it was, it was an organization that talks about the negative connotations and experiences behind, uh, major binge drinking and excessive binge drink, drinking. And I know with my experiences um, working in the uh, wine and spirits industry and kind of, you know, I've definitely enjoyed the industry and uh, continued forward. I first kind of wanted to just get an idea of on your background. Um, I wanted to hear just, um, you know, your personal experience experiences when getting involved in the organization? Uh, I guess, were you, I guess, a heavy drinker, or did you go to a lot of parties in college? Or?
1: So my, my problem drinking definitely started in college. I went to Michigan State. So that's where I cut my teeth on learning every wrong way to drink. You know, mm-hmm. leaving home from high school, entering college, there's no one there to hold your hand to help you understand what it's going to be like when you hit your college campus, you hit your first party, Mm -hmm. and what the attraction and the allure of that party culture is going to do to you. So like everyone else, my story in that regard isn't terribly unique in that I only knew how to consume in excess drinking for the enjoyment and for the respect of what what's in my glass was never a thought that crossed my radar. So a Mm -hmm. lot of my, a lot of my core negative behaviors with drinking, unfortunately started at Michigan state. So, you know, I've got stories of, having to go to the emergency room to get stitches because I had too much to drink. I have ruined, I ruined almost every relationship I was in throughout college because I didn't know when to say when to the bottle, which usually led to me doing something I regretted, which led to me having to apologize to a girl. And then that, of course, understandably so is going to lead her to ending that relationship mm-hmm. so all of those things including missed opportunities probably not being where I wanted to be in my professional career as soon mm-hmm. as I probably should have been because even after college I put partying and consuming and women ahead of smarter decisions, and perhaps taking my foot off the gas with with my booze, with my consumption.
0: Definitely. And I was kind of wondering, um, you know, you kind of mentioned on the really that there hasn't been much, I mean, before Better Drinking Culture with your organization, there has been much on preparing people for college, on tackling the idea of moderation and not over consumption. I'm wondering like, um, you know, your, your organization does a lot with uh, when I see your collaborations with other organizations, do you think it's been getting better or worse um, over time with new generations? Cause in my mind, I kind of think of maybe there's uh, I think nowadays that there's possibly more education, but I would also think that maybe with social media, that glamorization of overtracking is, Increasing as well. Are you, I guess, more optimistic or pessimistic with new generations? That's an
1: amazing question that I think can be answered both um, optimistically and then certainly realistically about the the fight we're still going to be up against in terms of the glamorization of overconsumption. We know that throughout history, and certainly most recently, we, we are conditioned to enter our 21st birthday with drinking until we pass out, right? Um, it's considered cool. Drinking to excess is considered harmless because particularly at that age, when we're talking about this college age demographic, mm-hmm. taking responsibility for their drinking doesn't really hold the same weight as it does after they get their diploma, right? Because they don't have their, um, their adult job yet. They don't have the quote unquote adult responsibilities yet. So it's really easy to get stuck into a niche, into a rhythm of that typical college party culture. As an organization, we know that every single negative experience associated with alcohol is very simply the result of drinking too much of it. But also, we, all, we know that misery loves company. We know it's a lot funnier. And it's going to get a lot more hearts and likes and shares if we videotape our drunk friends than it is to actually help them before they get in that position, right? So, you know, what I often tell, tell people is that check your check your circle, check your network of people. And find out, really, really gut check yourself to find out if they're laughing with you in those moments of distress Mm -hmm. when you've had too much to drink, or are they really laughing at you? Because I would wager that the second you become a parody of yourself on social media because your best friend took out their phone when they should have offered help, they're Mm -hmm. turning you into something that we both know you don't want to be because that, that glamour is going to wear off um, when you're dealing with the hangover and everything else you've got to apologize for the night before. So going back to your question as far as like being optimistic or pessimistic Number one, I'm I'm super optimistic where the alcohol industry is starting to help the consumer re-navigate themselves. There is an incredibly promising uptick in low ABV or zero ABV alcohol. Um, well, a beer, uh, a take on spirits and wine. So that low ABV and the non-alcohol uh, movement. Is increasing. So Mm -hmm. it's bringing to the forefront um, new, better, healthier options um, for those who either are non-drinkers or those who just don't want to drink now. But going back to what I, Mm -hmm. I said a little bit previously, what still makes me a little bit pessimistic is this double-edged sword with social media all of the the college-centric profiles are promoting again the that the overconsumption is just a standardized rite of passage that we should by all accounts be okay with so what we're really hoping to do is call that stuff out and let people know hey it's it's not a good look on any of us to get so drunk that all of that negative stuff starts to happen and we all know what that feeling is like after a night of having too much it's it's the pit in our stomach it's when our heart starts to race and then our mind is starting to piece together all of those fuzzy uh, puzzle pieces from the night before when we start inventorying all of the dumb shit we did last night. So, so we have that coupled with this uh, mindful drinking movement that uh, we're really proud to be a part of, as well as, and I'm sure we're we're gonna get into COVID, right? But the the component of one's mental health and well being. So there's a balance between optimism and pessimism. We just hope that by making moderation aspirational, the next generation starts to reconsider what my generation has left for them.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, no, um, definitely when you mentioned uh, with COVID-19, as well as I kind of liked how you brought up on the idea of checking your actual social circle on, you know, if they're actually helping you or possibly reinforcing negative habits. And
1: mm-hmm. I guess
0: with COVID, the idea of, you know, actually going to venues and going to concerts and going to events is, uh, you know, definitely put on hold um, for the time being. And I guess, does that, um, is there any noticeable differences in drinking patterns when it comes to before COVID-19 and during COVID-19? Because I can imagine myself, I know that, you know, I've definitely have done less, um, you know, I've obviously gone to less, uh, haven't gone to any parties during COVID-19 or really events or concerts. So the idea of, you know, excessive drinking, uh, you know, Socially, um, but I think the, I guess the barrier from kind of my work and my professional life and my personal life, because that's kind of going down. You know, I might be more likely to maybe have a beer during the day. Um, you know, maybe if it's not affecting my work. Um, but I wanted to mm-hmm. see kind of any patterns that you've noticed in the pandemic.
1: So I'm I'm happy to talk about my personal behavior at the onset of COVID and then as it evolved throughout this last year. But certainly to your point there, we have been stripped the ability and the opportunity to engage with our favorite humans in real life, right? Like concerts and the bar scene, not having those special occasions to look forward to is kind of chopped us all off at the knees in terms of those uh, potentially binge enticing occasions, right? Like it's all of the pre-partying that gets us in trouble later on in the night. So if we don't have anything to pre-party for, um, does that have a more positive <laughs> impact on, let's say, our weekend night consumption? I'm sorry, our weekend consumption. So if, if I don't have the opportunity to go see this new band on saturday do i or with a bunch of friends it just doesn't sound as cool to throw back a bunch of beers at 4 p.m on a saturday if i'm just kicking it at home by myself it's it the, the luster and the shine kind of goes away with the opportunity. So Mm -hmm. I think what we saw culturally at the beginning of COVID when, I mean, and this is crazy to think about, like way back last March when we all still felt in the dark about all things COVID, right? We we didn't fully understand the scope of what we were going to be up against. There was no Mm. uh, definitive line of sight on businesses, on our own jobs, so I think at the beginning of COVID, there was this dark ambiguity, this confusion, we're all getting lost in this thing together. And well, hell, if if I just got laid off from my job, or now if I get to work from home, like you mentioned, yeah, what's the harm in having a drink at noon? Or you know maybe i'm a couple in by the end of the the 5 p.m. workday if i even am lucky enough to still have a virtual workday so i think there was a little bit of excitement about not knowing so what's the harm in it right because we didn't fully understand the long term mm-hmm. effects of what covid was going to deal us so paralleling that to my experience I started to actually really at the beginning of COVID, I drank more, but it's in this context. I have a very, very modest beer cellar. So what I found myself doing stuck at home, like absolutely ordered to not see anyone else outside of my household, like back in those dark days, I thought, what the hell, I'm going to start drinking the stuff I've been sitting on. So my consumption increased Mm -hmm. as well as the frequency at the beginning of COVID. But I wasn't, um, very fortunately, and I can only speak for myself, I wasn't drinking the Coke. I was drinking because I had extra time on my hands. So I was was drinking more, Mm -hmm. but I was drinking more of the stuff that I have been saving to savor. So at that same time, Mm -hmm. we start hearing all of these stories and statistics about, you know, uh, everyone's drinking habits is just like going through the roof. Alcohol sales at party stores and off-premise establishments, um, they were going through the roof because people were in this, I think, panic mode and also like fascination mode where like all bets were off at the beginning of COVID. So let's just figure this out together. And uh, wouldn't it be a little bit more fun with a drink in our hand at an unusual time of day or day of week. (laughs) So then I think as COVID started to level out, people are like, shit, uh, this is going to last for a while. And my (laughs) drinking habits, Will not sustain themselves. So then the attractiveness of being able to maybe indulge a l- little bit more, uh, started to hold less and less weight because it's like, Oh crap. Um, what am I going to do with my kids? I, I think I'm going to lose my job permanently. I'm worried about my bills. So while certainly I'm sure. People were still drinking to cope with the unknown. When Mm -hmm. we start to realize that we're locked down for a lot longer, then we really started to see an uptick in conversations about mental health, hanging on just to get through this. And Mm -hmm. then we started to see a little bit of a dip in consumption because the ride was much longer than we had anticipated. So, Mm-hmm. as I think people's drinking habits were still trying to figure themselves out. Now as a as a culture, as a society, as a people, we started going, okay, we're, you know, all in this together. How's everyone doing? And then we realized, mm-hmm. oh shit, mental health is a thing. It's <laughs> real for everyone. Maybe maybe we should start talking about that a little bit more and so much of mental health so much of what BDC is and advocates for is really rooted in uh in in healthy uh, mental and emotional health.
0: Mhm. you you talked about the um the growth early in covid and then the post the dip when people realized that covid was you know, definitely much longer than expected. What do you think maybe, I guess, with your beer bar- background, what do you think the, I guess, the climate will be for um, bars and breweries um, after this pandemic? <laughs> because I, um, I'm i in a few different newsletters um, that talk about uh, different kind of industries. And, you know, I'm seeing... Uh, The one that really popped out to me was uh, Heineken saying they were doing, they're cutting a few different departments, investing way more into their seltzers division. Um, Because I guess with their logic was that, you know, restrictions are really uh, slashing pubs, but, you know, outdoor events with, you know, uh, White Claws and True Release, um, those are possibly going to be expanding a lot um, after. Uh do you think there's going to be maybe more competition in wine spirits beer after this? Or do you think you know maybe monopolies will take over?
1: That's that's a great question. Tough to speculate on, but I will say um mm-hmm. uh, I don't think anyone anyone in the beer industry could have seen or predicted the success of seltzers for example and now like personally i believe all of that stuff has jumped the shark particularly when uh some very well-versed seasoned admired and respected breweries are taking these craft seltzers and they're just turning them into if you're familiar like the equivalent of a pastry stout right so they're adding every (laughs) Sort of attractive additional ingredient, certainly to attract a new consumer or to potentially widen the uh, the purchase potential of an existing customer. And I've got I've got mm-hmm. some really good friends in the beer scene whose normal jam is anything ten percent and above, but are really intrigued by being able to now sample some. Similarly flavored, very, very low ABV beverages, which to your point, I think will carry over exceptionally well when we're all allowed to get back together at outdoor events. Because let's be honest, we know how the night's going to end if all you drink is the 10% barrel aged vanilla marshmallow chocolate stout versus being able to throw back a couple 4% fun, beachy seltzers, right? So mm-hmm. as far as, you know, certain collaborations or uh, companies acquiring other companies, that that's really tough to speculate on. But I do believe that COVID has given consumers of alcohol It's given us an opportunity to pause and to reevaluate what we're drinking, how much of it we're drinking and at what frequency. And listen, if you you really stop and think about it, the most basic attractive hard seltzer, other than the lower calorie count, lower to sometimes none uh, or zero calorie Mm -hmm. count. Aside from the calories, it's just like drinking a typical macro lager, right? That sits at right about four, 4.2, percent, you know, your session beers, if you will. So we still have to be conscientious and think like, I don't care what's on the label. If we're drinking more than we know is good for us personally, you're still over consuming and it's not, it's not going to be good for you in the long run either way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you kind of mention, I guess the overconsumption and actually being aware of kind of what you're putting in your body. Um, I remembered when I kind of, uh, when I read into the drinker's manifesto, um, I kind of liked the, it was the chapter on, um, it kind of showed the rules to live by. Like if you're going to go out and drink, you know, here's some yeah. helpful tips, you know, making sure you eat, stay hydrated, you know, treat the staff well. Um, you know, right. I kind of, I definitely, yeah, definitely kind of uh, put a set of rules on, cause I know my experience um, there have been times where, you know, if I obviously didn't hydrate and just like a couple of beers will give you a terrible hangover the next day. Um, you know, if you don't follow actual well rules. Forgive me. Was there,
1: was there, a a, was there a question in there or did you just want me to comment on, you know, the thoughtfulness behind how you might approach an evening?
0: Yeah, definitely. I guess if, um, really just kind of wanted to, uh, kind of ask on like, really, what was your, I guess, I guess the most underrated rule, um, within that book that you think that not enough people kind of follow when they go out for some drinks.
1: Damn. That's one, I've never been asked that, but I I love the idea of an underrated pro tip, Mm -hmm. right? So So much of mindful drinking is giving yourself the time to think about what your intention is. So I know that, for example, if I'm going to go see a rock show on Saturday night, that may afford me a little bit more leniency in my consumption um however mm-hmm. if i'm if i'm thinking about sunday fun day or any time where i know i have any relevant valuable commitment after i start consuming we should we should mm-hmm. really truly take pause take that in consideration and put value on our ability to very simply function and engage as a contributing member to society. And that includes the relationships that should mean the most to us, those that are closest to us. So for me, I have to really think about who I'm around, where I'm going, Mm -hmm. what the occasion is, and then what I need to show up for when the drinks are done. So Mm -hmm. I would really encourage everyone to just simply do a quick inventory of where your head is at and where your heart is at. So I talk about that in the book in terms of being intentional and mindful when you're consuming. We all know what it's Mm -hmm. like to drink, to cope. But we also know that no good ever comes of that. And that's just going to perpetuate the cycle of the shit we don't want to deal with that we're drinking to deal with when the buzz wears off and the hangover finally goes away. The shit is still there. So really, you have to ask yourself, is it worth putting all of that stuff at risk for one drink at the very end of the night that you probably don't need that we both know you won't remember enjoying anyway? So it's just pausing enough to take an inventory on yourself and what you're about to get yourself into. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely, I can see that. Um, I know we're coming up on the time, so I just wanted to kind of ask one uh, final question on
1: um, of course.
0: really on reading uh, The Drinker's Manifesto. Uh, really, my favorite quote from the book was when I saw that you talk about um, having kind of the need to have a respect for the drinks that you mm-hmm. consume. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you kind of say, you know, you have that respect, then, you know, you can actually uh, be able to understand what you can, the amount you can drink, um, kind of the level that you can drink at and kind of Mm be able to moderate from there. Um, Really with the companies, with the different wine and spirits companies that you've worked with, um, with uh, your speaking engagements and with the book distribution, is there any... I guess a long-term goal? Would there be any, you know, long-term goal as far as partners that you would love to collaborate with or anyone in the wine spirits industry that you would love to speak with or, you know, do the book tour with?
1: Thanks for asking that. So (laughs) when I have given talks to the alcohol industry in the past, there's one element of what we do that I know makes them very uncomfortable. And that's the idea of, and we all recognize it, but no one pays attention to it. And that is the the encouragement to quote unquote, please drink responsibly. So everyone who puts that statement on their product or an advertisement, they know what they're doing. They're checking a box so that if something goes sideways with the consumer, their hands are clean because they've told the consumer to please drink responsibly, right? There's the there's the warning on all alcohol labels, just like there's a warning on cigarettes, right? We all know what we're signing up for. Um, so as far as partnerships, um, a couple of years ago, we were very fortunate to have the opportunity to spend a lot of time down in Kentucky through a partnership with the Kentucky mm-hmm. Distillers Association, who connected us and opened the door for us to start having these conversations with some very boutique, small distilleries across their state. And then some huge global brands of particularly bourbon across the state of Kentucky. I mean, we're talking trendsetter, trendsetters and thought leaders in the world of spirits. Many of them come out of Kentucky. So I, I, it, if I can give a shout out, uh, the parent company, Brown Foreman, who uh, Mm -hmm. particularly represented Woodford Reserve down in Kentucky, they are huge Mm -hmm. advocates of educating the consumer in the best ways possible about respecting what's in your glass. Because if we think about it, we know, generally speaking, well-crafted alcohol is not cheap. It's not cheap to buy nor is it cheap to produce, market, and sell. So if you think about Mm -hmm. it, and I think perhaps it translates a little bit better with beer, but if you live in a city and you've got a favorite, your favorite brewery is at the end of your block, and that's your spot that you go to on the regular, the people behind that brewery who are crafting that recipe who are brewing that beer, and then who are spending their very valuable time slinging those beers from behind the bar, they care about their brand. They care about that product. And if you go to that local brewery often enough, you've probably met the brewer, who may or may not also be the owner. You're probably talking to the senior bartender, all of these people are really vested in this brand. And despite some of our missteps in marketing alcohol, because again, like social media, it's very cool to uh, make light of over-consuming because we know that still gets a laugh. But I would wager that your buddy who perhaps is the brewer or your friend um, if she owns the brewery you're not really complimenting them or helping them if you're abusing their product just to get cocktailed up right they're spending they're investing their lives to craft Mm -hmm. this product for your enjoyment just like woodford reserve did down in kentucky they don't want you to buy a bottle of their bourbon just so you can see how fast you can drink it. And despite what some of the, the the cool bro breweries like to promote, what good are you doing them or yourself if you're posting chug videos online, right? Good for you. You just bonged a beer in three seconds. Great, bro, because you just wasted probably a really amazing beer uh, that's really expensive. So (laughs) ideally, we would love to partner with anyone who wants to go to the front line, plant their flag in the ground and go, hey, the way our culture has historically glamorized overconsumption truly is not doing our people or our industry any good so if we want to mm-hmm. protect the well-being of the industry and the consumers who are who we're making the product for then don't we want to set them up for success and teach them how to drink better because drinking responsibly goes in one ear mm-hmm. and out the other
0: Definitely. I yeah, I definitely like that uh that analogy of really the spirits companies watching on like, yeah, thank you for shugging our very expensive and valuable bottle that we spend time on. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: I yeah, I mean you're just you're wasting your money, you're gonna feel like shit, like you you're doing nobody any good, right? So if if we Again, if we Mm -hmm. take time to really think about all of the amazing things that had to happen to put that liquid in our glass, perhaps we'd respect our relationship with it a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, the way we approach alcohol shouldn't be any different than the way we approach food and exercise, right? So Mm -hmm. think about it. There's, no one gives anybody shit if they are trying a new diet or just simply eat healthy regularly, right? Whereas it would be very weird to have a buddy who all he does is eat large pizzas and drink two liters of pop every day, right? At some point, that's going to catch up to you. But instead, we embrace good food that's good for us, where cheat days Mm. are the exception, not the rule. But for alcohol, the standard is to drink in excess regularly. And then Mm. it is very strange when a normal drinker just abstains for a day or doesn't drink at the party, right? Because all of a sudden, something must be wrong with them. And the same goes for our fitness and our health, right? Why are you going to spend all of this time
0: mm-hmm.
1: planning out healthy meals? Why are you going to get up early and go to the gym or that be your first stop on the way home after work and then totally be okay with consuming more than is good for you?
0: Yeah, definitely. I wanted to thank you again before I guess it just cuts out a 10th time. Um, really <laughs> no, thank you coming on this podcast and, uh, really having this conversation with me, especially, you know, during COVID-19 and all of, uh, you know, kind of the drinking habits that I've been seeing, uh, I think with friends, family, and just all these other industries, uh, really just kind of want to have the conversation on just that, what is better drinking and just, uh, add all these questions.
1: Dude, it is my absolute pleasure. Again, thanks for the invitation. Um, To anyone out there, we're pretty accessible. I'm sure you'll drop those links and stuff, but yeah, you'll find Better Drinking Culture wherever you you play and exist online. So thank you again very much for uh, allowing us to share our story. Uh, Happy to jump on anytime again in the future.
0: Definitely. Well, thank you again. And yeah, I'll definitely uh, put those links for anyone interested in better drinking culture or buying the book uh, Drinker's Manifesto. Thanks a lot.